Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. We're going to continue our series today on the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans that we started last week. We're going to finish up chapter 1 this week. Uh, If you recall last week, we looked at the first 17 verses of Romans uh, chapter 1, and we talked about uh, Paul's greeting and that he was a bondservant. He, uh, you know, was uh, elevated that term, that he was willingly uh, giving himself over as 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 a servant to Christ because of his love and because of the mercy and the love that Christ had uh, shown him and we talked about the gospel and what the gospel was and the good news of, of Jesus Christ and that it was the power of salvation and uh, we you know talked about uh, Paul's desire uh, to go to Rome and, and, and uh, his desire to uh, spread the gospel there and also mean and be encouraged and encourage those who were uh, laboring uh, in the church and now we're going to get start into uh, the real hard stuff in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to start off today by talking about God's wrath. Uh, and, God, uh, and God's wrath um, against the unrighteous. Uh, so today, as I, I said last week, the book of Romans has uh, really the, the, all of the foundations of the faith, uh, the Christian faith, uh, explained and mentioned and outlined in it. Uh, and so, uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, this is uh, some tough material here, uh, but it is the Word of God, uh, and it is part of uh, going through the study, it's critical, uh, and honestly, uh, it applies to our society today. Uh, it, it applies to our society today, just like it applied when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church and Rome. So if you want to open up with me in your Bibles, the book of Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going to be starting with verse 18 today. Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So let's look at these first two verses together. It says there in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. Uh, We live in a a society today that has propagated this lie about God, that if God exists, that he's uncaring and he's unloving, and that he just sits up there with a bolt of lightning waiting for you and I to mess up so he can issue some sort of judgment and he can blast us anytime that we make a mistake. Uh, uh, And that's not God at all. Even though God has wrath and God is going to reveal that wrath upon mankind, God's wrath is not knee-jerk, right? Uh, You and I, God's not like man. Uh, God is not manipulated by uh, man's feelings. God is not manipulated uh, uh, or surprised by sin. Uh, So God had a measured, uh, just response 
to sin before Adam and Eve ever fell in the Garden of Eden. Before they ever chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, God already had uh, his distaste, his hate of sin. He already had determined what his response would be to sin, as he had said to Adam and Eve, uh, you know, if you do this, the uh, consequences are death, uh, spiritual death, and you'll eventually physically have to die. Uh, and so uh, God has always said that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Uh, you and I who work in rebelliousness, and if we live in rebelliousness towards God, the consequences of that is death, and that's God's wrath. God's wrath is not an impulsive outburst of anger. Uh, my dad, uh, when I was younger, we walked on pins and needles around him a lot because uh, you would just make, depending on his mood that day, if you made a small mistake, he might explode and cuss you out for 45 minutes and uh, lecture you and call you all kinds of names and put you down. And so you walked on pins and needles. It just depended on the mood he was in that day. That's not how God works, right? Uh, God doesn't work by uh, deciding that he's in a bad mood that day, and so you do something small, uh, and uh, he's just going to overreact uh, and, uh, you know, uh, punish or do something terrible to somebody uh, or, or pour out his judgment uh, based on his mood. That's not how God works. But we've been conditioned in our world today to believe that when, uh, if there is a God, he must be bad and he must... Uh, not love his people because there is punishment and there is consequences. There are consequences to sin. It's funny that we understand consequences in many ways, uh, but when it comes to rebelliousness before God, we feel like we should be absolved of all consequences. Amen. And that's just not the case. Consequences uh, are a, a part of our world. Uh, if I drive drunk, there's a consequence that I might have an accident and kill somebody. If I eat too much, there's a consequence that I may mess up my body and, and be sick. Right? There are consequences to our actions, and just because there are consequences, it does not mean that God is evil, or that God is unjust, or God is unfair. So when it says, for the wrath of God, just understand as we go through the, the, this, this chapter today, that God's response to sin is measured, predetermined, and not based on the mood that he's in. So God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Uh, more accurately translated, that would be is constantly revealed. Uh, it means to uncover, make visible, and make known. God reveals his wrath uh, to mankind in two ways. He does so indirectly and he does so directly. Uh, indirectly, what he does is he has natural consequences that he's put in place uh, that when we violate his universal moral law, there are consequences, right? Uh, if you are promiscuous and having sex with a ton of different partners, guess what's going to happen? You're going to catch a disease, most likely, right? Uh, that's a natural consequence. Uh, again, if I'm uh, not taking care of my body, and I'm unhealthy, and my cholesterol skyrockets, and I have a stroke, that's a consequence of my behavior. When you, so there, God has indirect uh, consequences where you, you know, we break his moral law, and so therefore there are consequences built into that where we, that we suffer. Then God also has his direct wrath. Uh, this is where 
he actually personally intervenes immediately and he takes action. We have examples of that in the Bible. Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve fell, God told them what was going to happen. When they chose to be rebellious, God stepped in and said, uh, what's going on here? Who told you you're naked? Here are the consequences. Man, uh, Adam, you're going to have to work until the ground. You're going to have to work every day of your life. The fruits, uh, food is not just going to simply grow for you anymore. You're going to have to work. And, and lady, Eve, you're going to have pain in childbearing. And uh, things that, uh, you know, were going to come easy uh, for you, uh, they're not anymore. And you're going to be subject to your husband now uh, because of the sin that they committed. There were immediate consequences. Uh, the flood, that was ultimately God's uh, direct intervention. Uh, man uh, and, and uh, the men and women on this earth, men and women, had become so vile and so evil uh, and had corrupted uh, not only uh, the land, but they had corrupted each other and they were participating in such ungodly, uh, uh, improper, evil uh, behavior uh, that God said, look, uh, I'm going to wipe it out and start over again. And so he uh, uh, rescued uh, Noah and his family and essentially started over again uh, with that family. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, again, a city caught up in sin and rebelliousness toward God. And they were uh, caught up in uh, sexual sin. And they were participating in all kinds of lewd and uh, inappropriate behaviors, uh, behavior directly against God's word and God's command. And uh, so uh, what God did was he destroyed it with fire. Right? In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied uh, about giving uh, their, all of the money uh, to the church. They lied to, as Peter said, to the Holy Spirit. They sold that piece of land. They lied and said that was all the proceeds. It turned out it was only a part of the proceeds. They were just looking for a pat on the back. And so what happened? Because of their behavior, because of their lie, uh, they were struck dead. Immediately on the spot, they were struck dead. And so God issued immediate divine judgment. Now, he doesn't do that all the time. But most of the time, God works in that indirect wrath where he allows us to face the consequences of our actions over time as we continue to make those bad choices. But there's also when he does directly um, uh, directly uh, insert himself and do immediate uh, judgment. Uh, John MacArthur tells us that uh, there are multiple uh, kinds, uh, elements to God's wrath. He says that there's the eternal wrath of God, which is hell, which you hear preached all the time. That's when, where man will be punished for all eternity. There's the eschatological wrath, which is when uh, God is going to pull out, pour out his wrath, wrath during the tribulation, the great tribulation uh, upon the world. There's going to be the, there's cataclysmic wrath, like the flood. Uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's consequential wrath, which is the law of sowing and reaping, right, which we talked about. And then there's the wrath of abandonment, which for me, honestly, is, is kind of the, the scariest uh, uh, wrath. It's when God says, okay, I'm removing all restraint, and I'm going to sear your conscience, and I'm going to let people go and do whatever they want to and not intervene whatsoever. Where God says, all right, I've had enough. You've proven that uh, you're not going to listen to me no matter how many warnings I give you. Uh, so here you go. I'm turning you over. There will be no protection, no blessing, no nothing. I'm going to let you go uh, until you destroy yourself. 
There'll be no more intervention for me. That's frightening that you could, and I could ever get to the place where God just turns us over and says, all right, uh, I've had enough. You go ahead and do what you want to do and face the consequences. There's no more. See, you and I don't realize that we take it for granted our conscience and we take for granted the fact that God still protects us and blesses us, right? Uh, we don't know many times, we don't know what it's like to live when God lifts his hand. But we can see the results of that in people's lives who are destroyed by drugs, who are destroyed by alcohol, who are destroyed by sexual sin, where ultimately God just says, okay, you can have what you want, and I'm no longer going to intervene. The Bible says there again uh, in verse 18 that um, uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, and unrighteousness. These are individuals who make a conscious decision to oppose God's truth by holding fast to their sin. The Bible says to him that knows to do right, but doesn't do it to him that is sin. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Right? So those are somebody who has made a conscious decision that even though their conscience has told them no, even though they may have even heard uh, the word of God, they were raised in church, it was preached, they've heard about Jesus, they know of his mercy, they know of their condition, they choose to reject it anyways, and that's what God is talking about here. Man chooses to ignore God's revelation of himself in whatever way, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, and so, therefore, uh, God is going to pour out his wrath upon them. We suppress our conscious, conscience. We suppress our uh, creation and God's uh, uh, manifest attributes in creation. And then we choose also to ignore God's word. Verses 19 and 20. Because God, or because what may be known of God is manifest. In them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, one of the things that you will hear uh, uh, many times is that, uh, well, what is about the people that never heard the gospel? What about the people that never heard of God? And this is what Paul is addressing here now. No one is without a, No one has an excuse. Why? Because uh, God has revealed Himself to man in ways that are outside of the Bible and that are outside of being preached to. What are those ways? Paul lists them here. One, God has given each and every one of us a conscience. Inside uh, all of us uh, is a, a conscience. Uh, inside all of us is a knowledge of right and wrong. Inside of all of us, we know it's wrong to steal. We know that it's wrong to kill, to destroy. Inside of all of us, we know these things inherently, and yet we choose to rebel against them. Right? Uh, many, we have a conscience upon our hearts, uh, and, and, and those who are naturalists, those who believe in evolution, believe that that has evolved, in, in, evolved in us. Um, but what we believe as Christians is that God imprinted that upon us. When he created man and created us in his image, 
uh, he had printed and gave us a conscience to know what was right and what was wrong on a, on, a, on a low level. We know basic things, right and wrong. In addition, in verse 20, it says, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. What? The things that are made. His eternal power and His Godhead. Right? I don't. If you look at the world today, and you are objective, and you look at the world and the universe, and you really pay attention... I don't know how anyone can come to the conclusion that it all happened by accident. Amen. I had a friend of mine that I was talking with, and he said, with all the billions of galaxies, there is a complete chance that one of them accidentally has life, that we can support life, and Earth just happens to be one of them. But what they fail to take, first of all, that probability is, is astronomical. In addition to that, not only the the... the, the the uh, conditions that have to be put in place to sustain life are like, I don't know how you can look and not see the intervention of a creator. If the moon wasn't where it was, we would not be able to sustain life on this earth. If it was just a little bit closer or a little bit further away, we couldn't sustain life on the earth. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, if our orbit was just a little bit different, we would not be able to sustain life on earth. If the planets we're not exactly where they're supposed to be. If they were any closer or any further away, we would not be able to sustain life on this planet. Uh, there are so many things. The stars have to be exactly where they are, right? Or we would not be able to sustain planet uh, or life upon the earth. There are so many things that are evident that had to have been designed that could not have happened by accident. If you are objective, but here's the thing, and I, I was watching a discussion between an atheist and a Christian, and it was actually an amicable conversation, uh, but usually those conversations are amicable because the truth is, if you ever watch those debates, what ends up happening is the atheist uh, talks down to and treats the theologian or the Christian like they're stupid and don't know what they're talking about, and it's complete, they're con very condescending. Uh, but in this particular one, there, it was actually a very, a very nice conversation. It was, and basically what they acknowledged at the end of the conversation was this. If you want to believe in creation, you'll find a reason to believe in creation. And if you want to believe in evolution or believe that there is no creator, uh, then you will, you, will, you will find evidence to support your opinion. Right? If you and I start from the, if we start from the perspective that there is no God, then we will have to, and uh, we will have to then interpret everything around us under the uh, predisposition that there is no God. Right? Uh, we have, we'll have to, we'll have to do that because we've got to find out how we got here. We got to come up with a way with how this happened and with how we got here. But uh, there are uh, the, the, the scientific world would have you believe that. There aren't any real Christian scientists out there. That there that there aren't any real uh, mathematicians. There aren't any real astro uh, astronomer, astron astronomers. There aren't any real scientists, physicists that believe uh, in in the creation, and that is simply not true. There are prominent scientists throughout history, to include today, that they believe there has to be a divine creator. There has to be. There had to have been something that kicked it all off. Even if you don't want to believe that God uh, is intimately involved in the lives of, his, of the world, there is no denying that something had to start it. 
something bigger and greater than what is currently in existence. For something cannot create something bigger or better or more evolved than itself. So something greater had to create it, something in greater power, greater knowledge, greater presence, greater understanding. So God reveals himself uh, in that way to us. If you look at the world, I don't see how you could uh, in any way um, decide that uh, God does not exist. In addition, God demonstrates his faithfulness, his kindness, and his graciousness to the world. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Crops grow for those who love God and those who don't love God. People who love God have jobs and people who don't love God have jobs. There are blessings that are poured upon this, out upon this earth that we take for granted that God allows. God allows the sun to shine when it's supposed to shine. And he allows rain to come. And God blesses this earth uh, uh, with the laws that he set in motion. And that's out of his mercy, his grace, his kindness, and his love. For he had every right to stop it. When Adam and Eve fell, he, he had every right to just destroy it all then. And Lord knows we've given him reason throughout man's uh, uh, tenure here upon this planet for him to destroy the world ten times over through our rebelliousness. But God has had mercy and grace upon us. And he says, finally, so that they are without excuse, those who consciously choose to deny God, who have seen the evidence of God in creation, who have the, the, their conscience, who have been taught and preached to, uh, they, those who re willingly rebel against God, he says that they do not have an excuse. Here's the thing, and this is a question that I asked myself when I was younger. You know, how in the world could someone respond to Christ if they've never heard of Christ? How in the world could they ever respond? And I really thought about that a lot, and then I heard someone preach one time about the Ethiopian. And how that the Ethiopian in the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 8, he had, was wondering. He hadn't met Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. He had only was reading the scriptures from the book of Isaiah, the Bible says. And yet God took Philip and said, Philip, uh, go stand here. So that when the chariot came by with the care in the Ethiopian, uh, Philip heard him reading from Isaiah. And he flagged the chariot down and said, hey, what you reading? And the Ethiopian said, I'm reading this. I wish I had someone who could explain it to me. Philip got up in the chariot, preached the gospel to him. The man got saved and got baptized at that moment. So... My belief is that if someone really wants to know God, they will find him. If that obscure uh, uh, tribe that is, has, no, has not had any contact with mankind or outside of their, their small area, uh, if they want to know God, God will make sure that they, he, they know him. If they genuinely seek him, he will make sure that he has revealed himself specifically to them, so that they can be saved. And we see that in the Ethiopian. We see that with Cornelius, right? The first Gentile convert. You know, he served God. He, he was honored God. He gave and he supported the Jewish people. Uh, and so God sent Peter to him directly. 
and said, uh, I'm going to tell you about this Jesus. Let, let, and, and, and Cornelius said his whole household were saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost. So if you and I, I believe this, that if you and if someone wants to know God, they will get the opportunity to know God. He will go after them. He will seek them. And he will draw them to himself. But let's be honest. Many people want nothing to do with God. Nothing outside of anything that would impact their uh, plan or purpose in their life. They don't want anything to do. Or if something bad goes wrong, we immediately want to throw God out of the picture. But if a man uh, or a woman or a child want to know God, they will find God. He will reveal himself to them. Uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. J. Vernon, McGee, uh, J. Vernon McGee says, If you examine the next few verses carefully, you will see that there are seven steps which mankind took downward from the Garden of Eden. So if we look at this, first it's, uh, it says because although they knew God, so although man has no excuse and they know that there must be a higher power, there must be a creator, for God has not hid himself in that his invisible attributes are indeed clearly seen. So first, although they knew God, they, want, they chose not to glorify him. They chose not to uh, put him on the throne of their hearts, to honor him. They chose not to give him his rightful place in their lives, and they decided to live self-sufficiently apart from God. They were not thankful. They refused to acknowledge that every good thing they enjoyed came from God. We live in a world that is a thankless world, a world that does not honor or is not grateful for anything that it has, not just to God, but to anybody else. We take our, our military for granted. We take our uh, economy for granted. We take everything uh, for granted in this world and not realizing that we should be thankful for what we have. Amen. The poorest of the poor in our country are still uh, more wealthy than many of the most wealthiest in other countries. We are a blessed nation that chooses to not be thankful for what we have and grateful to the Lord. Finally, or next, he says, became futile in their thoughts, meaning uh, man began to search uh, for meaning and purpose outside of God. To look for meaning, to find purpose for their lives outside of God. And so they began to invent schemes and plans in our hearts. Man began to invent those things like evolution, to describe uh, how uh, creation came to be, how the world came to be, how man came to be uh, absence, absent of God. Their foolish hearts were darkened because when man rejects the truth, the darkness of spiritual falsehood replaces it. Our eyes are blinded. Our hearts are blinded. And it makes it difficult for us to see any spiritual truth. What's sad is, is that we do it to ourselves. 
Over time, as we continue to seek everything but God and rebel against Him, our hearts just get more and more black, darker. The shadow grows thicker and deeper. Man professes to be wise, and professing to be wise, they became fools. Man rationalizes his sin, and when we rationalize our sin, despite the consequences that we see right in front of us, that is foolishness. I mean, it's just looking at our world today, rationalizing our sin and the behaviors in our world that are clearly, there are consequences too. But yet we, we still rationalize it that it makes us feel good or it's what, you know, helps me. It's what, you know, meets my needs, which make, you know, meets my immediate, you know, what I want right now when I want it. And despite the pain that it causes, we still chase after it. That's foolishness. Yes. That's foolishness. We, we claim, listen, man claims to be so evolved and so far down the road uh, uh, that we are now uh, uh, hurting ourselves and justifying it. You know, uh, there is, there is an, a, a very sad epidemic, uh, especially among teenagers, called cutting, where they get very depressed and they get very sad and the, uh, they, 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 only way that they, they feel like they deserve to feel pain and then, then, then they're just emotionally a wreck and they don't know how to deal with it and so they cut themselves, right? Uh, I know someone very dear in my life uh, who uh, during his uh, uh, teenage younger years, he cut himself. He did that to his arms. He sliced up his arms. Cutting themselves to try to get some sort of relief to punish oneself. And now you and I can look at that and we can say, well, that, that's horrible. And it is horrible. And we want to help those people. But we live in a world today where people are cutting themselves all over in their lives. And hurting themselves and wounding themselves through rebelliousness and sin. And that's just as tragic. Walking in impurity, drugs, alcohol, sex, lying and cheating on our jobs, being unfaithful in our marriages. All of those things are forms of acting out and trying to get some sort of release or relief or some sort of joy or happiness. But all it is is it hurts us. So we think we're so smart, but we're really not. We're just proving ourselves to be fools. Who changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image uh, made like corruptible man. Uh, idolatry is something that's played the world since the beginning of time. The nation of Israel was ultimately destroyed because of their idolatry. They're worshiping fake and false gods, creating images and saying that they're God. When they were led out of the uh, uh, out of Egypt, uh, when Moses went to go get the Ten Commandments, while he was up there, they got frustrated, and what did they do? They got all their gold, melted it down, and built a golden calf to worship. Right? Man uh, likes to set up idols, and while you may not have a statue of uh, some idol sitting on your shelf that you bow down, burn incense to, and pray, mankind has many different idols that we place in front of God. An idol is anything that we allow to sit upon the throne of our hearts and place of God. Amen. Anything. It doesn't have to just be a, a something made out of stone. 
or wood or a material. It could be something that you and I cannot touch. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It doesn't just have to be material, but it also can be material. We can take things that are good and turn them into idols. Right? People have worshipped nature. Trees are great things. They don't deserve to be worshipped. We need trees to live. They take the carbon monoxide and they deoxide and they turn it into oxygen. We need them. They don't deserve to be worshipped. So we take things that were meant to help us and you know, meant to sustain us in their blessings of God and we corrupt them. We corrupt them and we worship them instead of God. Now here we get to the really tough parts. I know that this has been a wonderfully uplifting sermon, but it is God's word and it is something that we need to apply to our lives because the truth is even as Christians, we can find ourselves not being grateful, not being thankful. We can find ourselves being content to live in rebelliousness towards God and our sin. And we need to know that God does not have any patience for people, even his children, who constantly live in sin. He hates sin. It also should give us an understanding of the world. Right? Be able to look at the world and, and, and have pity and our hearts ache and hurt for those around us who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't want them to suffer the wrath of God. Any of his, uh, the wrath of God in any way, shape, or form. And so we must reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, look at verse 24 and 25. Therefore God also gave them up to uh, uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship to serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now you're going to see this phrase three, uh, three times here, two more times after this. God gave them up. He's going to use it two more times after this. And what it literally means in the Greek is it's a judicial term. It means handing them over, a, handing over a prisoner to his sentence. All hope is lost. There is no more appeals. You're being handed over to be punished to the sentencing that you were given. So God says first that he gave them up to the uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their uh, bodies among themselves. That word uncleanliness there is a general term used most often uh, to talk about decaying matter. So God says that you and I are so unclean that those who reject, that, that man, the men and women who reject God and are rebellious to God, they are consciously uh, rebelling against God, they know about God, they've seen his attributes, he maybe even sat in a church service, they know God. Yet they continue to rebel against God. God calls them unclean, not just unclean, he says they are deteriorating like a rotten corpse. He gives them over to their uncleanliness. Right? That means you can't be treated. You can't be healed. He's giving them over to it. He's handing them over to their sentence, their uncleanliness, their decaying way of life to be ultimately destroyed by it. So he gives them over to their uncleanliness. 
Now, uh, he is going to talk specifically here in a moment about sexual sin and the path that sexual sin takes and sexual immorality, right? And the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The book of James chapter 1 verses 14 to 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When we give ourselves over to sin, eventually sin will destroy us. Because the wages of sin will always be death. Verses 26 and 27. For this reason, here we go again, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged exchange the natural use uh, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty, penalty of their error which was due. Vile passions. What is their vile passions that he's talking about? Sexual sin. Now he mentions women first here. And he does that on purpose because typically in a society, women are uh, consumed by their sexual immorality last. Throughout history, women are usually the last to succumb. Men are all about getting in there and fulfilling every dirty sexual desire that they have. We operate with our sex drives and we are easily corrupted. Women, you're the moral bastions. You, women, typically are not corrupted by those things. But as you can see, as happened in Rome and in Greece, and what has happened in our society right here in our world today, what has happened in our developed countries, Women are actually now falling prey and participating in the same vile behaviors that men fall prey to, and just as easy. That's the, that right there lets you know that things are bad shape. But Paul said things have gotten so bad that even the women were acting like pigs. Why? Because they decided that instead of, uh, they were going to give themselves up to every sexual pleasure, just like a man was doing. And what he's saying is it had gotten so bad that, that when, men, when it gets to the culture, gets to this place, God says, I'm done. I'm going to give them up to their vile passion. And you can see that in our world today. In our civilized, evolved world, people giving up to their vile passions despite the consequences. Despite the promiscuity, sex outside of marriage with multiple partners leads to sickness. It leads to murder. It leads to death and destruction. Yet we do it anyways. We run around and we have, uh, no matter how protected that you think you are, eventually, if you continue uh, to participate in that behavior, it's going to catch up with you. Some disease. Hopefully it's one that's treatable with antibiotics. Unlikely, in many cases, it sticks with you the rest of your life. That's un, just uncontrolled uh, lust and desire. I mean, uh, things that could be 
uh, prevented if we would just follow what God said to do, which is to be the husband of one wife and the wife of one husband. If we would do that, things would, we wouldn't have the problems that we have today. Right? And there's statistics that we don't like to quote, but they're the truth. Single family homes destroy children. Or single parent homes, excuse me, destroy children. Men not fulfilling their obligations, it destroys children. Women who are content to have multiple partners and children with multiple men, it destroys those children's lives. It's an epidemic in our society because we're selfish and we're self-centered. And so God gives us up to our vile passions. All right, I'm giving you up to your sexual desire. Go ahead, ladies, sleep with other ladies. Go ahead, dudes, sleep with other dudes. See where that gets you. Go ahead and commit fornication and idolatry and sexual immorality and see where you are and where that leads. Here's the thing. When it comes to sexual sin, the Bible does not mince words. Any, any sexual activity outside the confine, uh, con, confines of marriage is sin. Any. Any sin. And there is no uh, hall pass or way around it. If you are lusting in your heart, whether you go the full way, you are committing sin. That's sin. And God turns us over to that. And, and, you know, we like to talk about the big sexual sins because they have become a focus in our society. But all sexual sin is sin before God. And, and, and we've got to, as a church, preach against that. Right? We've got to say that it's wrong. Bio passions that just turning us over to evil, rebellious desires that are completely contrary to what God's word teaches. In our world that continues to popularize, popularize normalize sexual sin, just read Romans chapter 1. Anyone that tells you that the Bible doesn't call certain things sin, they're lying to you. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Women exchange the natural use of a woman, a man, to lay with other women. That's lesbianism. A man exchanged the natural use of a woman to lie with a man. That's homosexuality. Those, that's homosexuality, and those are sin. Now, they're not any more or any less worse than any other sin. If you're committing adultery. You're committing sexual sin. If you're having sex outside of marriage, if I'm having sex outside of marriage, I'm committing sexual sin. All of that is wrong. Adultery is sin. Lusting in my heart is sin. So it's not like we want to elevate one sin over another. We've got to preach against them all. Just like it's unfair of me to, to, to say that it's okay to be fat and gluttonous. It's not just because I'm gluttonous. I'm as guilty before God as anybody else. It's sin. Verse 28, and so even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Again, God gave them over to what? A debased mind. 
The Greek word there means not passing the test. It was used to describe useless, worthless metals discarded because they contained too much impurity. God said, can you imagine getting to a place where God gives you up, gives up someone, and says you're too impure to do anything with? You're too rebellious, you're too dirty, you're too caught up in your sin, I can't, there's no hope for you anymore. That's scary. You're so impure that I'm just going to give you over and throw you out. But Paul says it right here. Give you over to a debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Go ahead. Do those things. I'm not going to, I'm going to stand back and let you destroy yourselves. That's scary that you and I can get to the place where God could give us up, where he could step back and say, all right, I'm no longer intervening. And we can see in our world today what happens when God steps back from people's lives and he says, okay, I'm no longer intervening. And we're seeing the progression of that in our society. It is like a cancer that corrupts. Verse 29 through 31. Now here, we, we focused on those sexual sins, but here's a list of sins that Paul is going to talk about that God will give us over to. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. So all of those things are sin before God. And we are not to exhibit any of those behaviors in our lives as children of God. These are behaviors of a world that is lost before God. When you see wickedness and jealousy and you see people being malicious, that is the result of a fallen world. A world that God has said to them, I am stepping back and I'm going to allow that person to just be consumed by their sin. I'm turning them over uh, to their sin. The envy, the murder, the strife. Look at murder and strife in our society today. Deceit, evil-mindedness, wanting the worst for people, wanting to see people hurt and uh, shamed and abused. Haters of God. Violent. Look at our world today, folks, and look at what we are seeing in the rise of violence and hatred. It's just the corruption of sin having its way in our world. And God warned us about it. And we must steer clear of it. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things uh, are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They are fully aware that there is a God. They are fully aware that there are consequences to their behavior but they do them anyways. And not only do they do them, 
They celebrate everyone else who does it with them. J. Vernon McGee says, man has a revelation from God, but he flagrantly flaunts it by defying the judgment of God against such sins. He continues to practice them and applauds and approves those who do the same. Even now, when it comes to certain lifestyles in our country and certain sins in our country, we have been told for years that they just want to live and be accepted and live a life. Let them love who they want to love. And for years, the Christian church, even despite what the media has heard, we've been quiet. We've let them live however they want to live. But they don't want to just be left alone. They want to be celebrated. That it has turned now from us just being able to say what's right and what's wrong and live and let live to, well, now you've got to celebrate what I'm doing. And that is wrong. That is sin. And that's what we have to steer clear of in our world today. As we're navigating this world in these last days, we must be open and honest with how God views sin. And all of us are guilty of sin. All of us. And no one who has ever lived and who will ever live on this beautiful earth has an excuse before God. Because God has revealed himself to us through our conscience and through his invisible attributes. And so we have no excuse but to acknowledge him and to seek him. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.